questions and answers. Today, Christianity and science are portrayed as enemies. It is believed that one cannot be serious about science and still hold to their faith in Christ, which is anti-science. Is this really the case? Would you believe it was the Christian worldview that gave birth to the sciences and provided the ground for which science could flourish? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, we're listening to a message that was taken from our 2020 Evian Youth Apologetics Conference. Annually, Pat brings in guest speakers from all over to teach and equip the youth today. Now, here's Clint Manley with a message entitled, The Hijacking of Science. Because I have a single goal in everything that I do. I'm a pastor on Molokai, and I have one purpose for which I preach. I'm a husband, and I have one mission in my marriage. I'm an apologist, and I have one aim in all of my arguments. And my target for this talk and my target for the talk last night is the same. I am working with you for your joy in Jesus. I'm not interested in just giving you information, but far more importantly, I want to invite you to deeply enjoy the God that we are talking about. See, there's a reason that 80 plus percent of high schoolers abandon Christ when they go to college. And it's not only because they're not exposed to the truth, but because they've never tasted and seen the satisfaction that comes only in Christ. Friends, right thinking is not enough. We need right affection for the value and the beauty of the truth as well. Your joy in God is infinitely important because God created you and me and Christ is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And even when we're talking about science, I am working to awaken that joy in God today. So I want to take you on a voyage in this talk and I'm going to end the talk with joy. I want to invite you to join me in a journey that I've been on for the past decade. And what we're going to be doing is examining the claims of naturalism about science, faith, and God. Examining the hijacking of science. A great attempted mutiny that has taken place. In order to do that, though, I want to set up an image, an analogy that has helped me to understand this issue. So if you will... Close your eyes with me for a moment. I want you to form a picture in your mind. Imagine that you were on a ship. Not a modern ship, but an epic medieval ship, like the Black Pearl or the Dawn Treader. Imagine a huge, beautiful sailing vessel. Now picture that you are standing on the quarterdeck, right in front of the captain's wheel, overlooking the entire ship. You see huge sails, stunning sails, colored like the sky when the sun sets. You see miles of twisted rope tied like an amazingly complex and carefully constructed web draped over the ship. You see the deck stretched out before you, massive and meticulously maintained. But your vision is not the only sense you use to perceive the ship. You breathe in and smell the savor of salt-soaked decks and the sweet aroma of aged timber. You hear the harmony of the ropes and the sails sighing in the wind. Their joyful creaks calling to one another in a constant conversation. You let your hand glide over the massive steering wheel and you feel the grooved grain of polished wood under your fingertips. 
smooth and sanded from thousands of hours of being handled by wise hands. And as you begin to descend to the main deck, you feel the level boards gliding under your feet and the slight rock of the ship dancing on the waves. You realize that the handrail is covered in intricate carvings and illustrations. Flowers and leaves and vines wrap around the rail while here and there the shapes of animals, lions and rabbits and lambs, emerge from the wood as if they were alive. And when you reach the deck, you see people. People of every imaginable shape, skin color, ethnicity, and age. A rainbow of humanity. Many of the people on the deck are going about their tasks as crew members, rigging ropes and setting sails and polishing planks. But you see a small group that's not working. This group is attempting to start a mutiny, seeking to overthrow the captain. Their eyes aflame with rebellion and dressed mostly in lab coats and tweed jackets. They're an intelligent-looking bunch. And they're yelling claims of revolt to anyone who will listen, saying things like, Down with the captain. The shipbuilder is a lie. Long live the sovereign ship, the only thing that matters. Now, hold that picture in your mind and open your eyes. I want to use that image of a ship and a mutiny as an analogy for what we're going to talk about. And let me explain a few of the symbols before we move on. The ship represents the natural world. Everything that you can perceive with your sight, smell, hearing, taste, and touch. The ship is all of the physical world around us. It's the universe. What you did in that thought experiment was science. You used your sight, your smell, your touch, your hearing to observe the ship and to draw conclusions about it. The study of the ship of nature is science. The captain and the shipbuilder is God. And the diverse crew of people is just that. People. It's you and me and everyone else in the world. And the group of hijackers is mostly scientists. Men who study the ship and are attempting to hijack the ship, making claims about its origin, its purpose, and its destination. And what we're going to do today is examine some of those claims about science, faith, and God. And I have a sample of those claims on the next slide. Scientist Carl Sagan very famously said, The cosmos is all that there is, ever was, or ever will be. Or Stephen Hawking, a world-renowned scientist, said, Religion is a fairy story for those who are afraid of the dark. Or Richard Dawkins, who's a famous biologist, said, The idea of God is a very naive, childish concept. And those quotes really are a good representation of the claims that many popular scientists are making. And so what I'd like to do in this session is evaluate some of the claims that modern scientists are making using that ship analogy. Let's examine the hijacking of science. And before we do that, we need to set up some definitions, just like we did last night. We need to ask, what is science? And it's very important to understand that there's two different uses of the word science. The first is science is the study of nature. And our ship illustration is helpful here. Remember that the ship is all of nature. And science simply is the study of the ship. Or science is the study of the natural world using the five senses 
to make observations and then describe the way the natural world operates. And it's it's important to understand that science in this sense has nothing to say about the supernatural. Science only deals with the ship. Everything that's not the ship, everything that's not nature is outside of the realm of science. But there's another use of the word science as well, and this is how it can get confusing. Science is also used to refer to a naturalistic, atheistic worldview. The word science can be used to represent a worldview or a way of seeing the world known as naturalism or materialism, which is at its core atheistic. When you hear the word naturalism, naturalism, think nature is all there is. That's essentially what naturalism means. And naturalism claims that there is no God. There's no supernatural. There's nothing beyond the five senses. And the use of the word science, this use of the word science, is not the study of nature. But it's a way of thinking that says the ship is all there exists. There's no captain, no shipbuilder, no wind, no sea, just the ship. And we have to be very careful to distinguish between science as the study of nature and science as a naturalistic worldview. Most of the claims we're going to be looking at today come from the atheistic, naturalistic worldview, not from the study of nature. And one of the things that's important to understand is that just because a scientist says something does not mean that it is a scientific claim. For instance, I read you the quote of Richard Dawkins. He said, the idea of God is a very naive, childish concept. That is not a scientific claim that he's making. In our illustration, that's like making a claim about the wind or the ocean. That goes beyond the study of the ship. It goes beyond science. And those claims of scientists that go beyond nature must be assessed by the studies of things beyond nature with philosophy and theology and metaphysics. And so we're going to use some of the insights that those studies give us and examine some of the major claims of the hijackers this morning. So the first claim we're going to look at is that science and God are enemies. And this is perhaps the biggest and most popular claim about science. This is at the very core of the hijacking of science. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you guys have seen the movie Nacho Libre? Awesome. Good. Well... There's a scene in the movie where Nacho and his partner, Escaletto, are getting their butts handed to them repeatedly. And Escaletto is supposed to wrestle this this massive dude next. And, And what he says is, I can't wrestle him. And Nacho replies, but you are tall and fast like a gazelle. You can do it. Pray to the Lord for strength. And if you guys remember what Escaletto replies, he says, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Now, there's a number of interesting things about that statement, but what he is implying is that God and science are at odds. You can either believe in God or you can believe in science, but you cannot have both of them together. And the question is, is that true? Is that true? Well, essentially, this is the claim that God and science are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. But I think our ship illustration here is helpful in seeing how mistaken this is. Because having a a captain on board the ship doesn't make studying rope tension or sail strength impossible. It doesn't make examining the architecture of the hull meaningless. 
In fact, all of the men who founded the study of the ship, who founded science, all believed in a captain and a shipbuilder. Historically, the great fathers of science have all been theists. And I could give quote after quote after quote to support this, but let's just look at three. Isaac Newton, who was considered by most to be the greatest scientist in all of history, he discovered the laws of gravity. And here's what he said. God created everything by number, weight, and measure. And I love this quote that he makes. In the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. That's awesome. The intricacy of the finger would have convinced Isaac Newton that God existed. Or Sir William Kelvin, who, who if you don't know who he is, he has his own temperature scale named after him. Here's what he said. If you study science deep enough and long enough, it will force you to believe in God. Or Albert Einstein, he said, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. And so it has simply never been the case that science and God are enemies. Studying the ship and having a captain have never been at odds in the past. And even today, modern science and God are not at odds. According to 100 years of Nobel Prize, and, and a Nobel Prize is the highest thing that you can do in science, 65% of the Nobel Prize winners in the 20th century were all Christians. That's amazing. Two-thirds of the greatest scientists of the last century. E.T. Watson, who was one of those Nobel Prize winners, expressed the harmony of God and science like this. He said, one way to learn the mind of the Creator is to study his creation. We must pay God the compliment of studying his work of art. Watson is saying we can know the shipmaker by studying the ship. And the history of science up until this present day is proof that science, as the study of nature, is not at all at odds with God. A ship needs a captain and a shipbuilder. In fact, the more we understand the natural world, the more we can appreciate the majesty and the creativity of God. The more we see the massive sails and the curved hull and the level deck, the more we can appreciate the shipbuilder. Isaiah 40, 26 says this, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars, who brings out their hosts by number, who calls them all by name. You know how many stars there are? That's awesome. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. The more we understand about the stars, the more we should stand in awe of the God who made them. So scientific knowledge far from destroying a belief in God should actually fuel our worship of God. See, the conflict is not between God and science as the study of nature, but between God and naturalistic scientists. The issue is between those who believe in a captain and those who do not believe in a captain, between theism and atheism. It's a war of worldviews. Atheistic scientists have tried to hijack the ship for their own purposes by denying that there is a captain and a shipbuilder. So science and God are not enemies. Here's claim number two. Science does not need faith. And before we tackle this claim, we need to look at the relationship between faith and reason. 
So let's go back to our ship illustration. So you can think of faith as wind in the sails of the ship. Faith is trusting in what you have good reason to believe is true. Or faith is receiving something to be true, to be reality like we talked about last night, and being ready to act on that truth. Faith is the wind that moves the ship. On the other hand, reason is like the rudder that guides the ship. Reason is simply the use of logic or thinking to understand and make sense of the world. Reason is the rudder that guides the ship and helps determine where it will go. And, and so as you can see from that analogy, you cannot have faith without reason, and you cannot have reason without faith. Wind without a rudder is unguided chaos. And that's what some people would call blind faith, by the way. And a rudder without wind is dead in the water. The ship goes nowhere. Faith and reason go hand in hand. And faith is essential to all aspects of life. There are thousands of things that everyone must accept by faith and reason. Otherwise, we would be totally paralyzed in life. For instance, you guys got in a car this morning to drive here, and you had faith based on good reason that when the key was turned in the ignition, the car would drive and not explode. That's faith. You had faith in the chair that you're sitting on when you sat down. You had good reason to believe that it would hold you up, and by faith you sat in it. And you have faith that tonight for dinner, when you eat, it won't be laced with arsenic. That's all faith. And once we understand that faith is belief based on, grounded on reason, and that we need it for every aspect of life, it becomes very obvious that faith is actually essential to science. See, a lot of times you hear that faith and science are on opposite ends of the spectrum, but all science requires faith to operate. Here's one of the ways that works. Science depends on faith that our senses... Our five senses give us a good picture of the way the world really is. In other words, you can't study nature if you can't trust your senses. We could spend hours talking about this, but, but I'm going to pull the trump card. Who is the most famous scientist of all time? Einstein, right? I'll give you the answer. Einstein. <laughs> He's the most famous scientist. Here's, Einstein said that science has faith, that the laws of nature can be known by our senses. He goes on to say this. I think the quote's on the screen. I cannot conceive of a genuine scientist without that profound faith. The situation may be expressed by an image. Science without religion is lame. Religion without science is blind. Einstein says science cannot be done without faith, and faith without scientific evidence is blind. In other words, a ship without wind is dead in the water, and a ship without a rudder is lost. On top of that, faith is essential for both naturalism and atheism. Both atheism and naturalism are belief systems. They both require faith. Atheism is the belief that there is no God. Naturalism is the belief that nature is all that exists. So all systems of thought require faith. Theism, atheism, naturalism... Even the study of nature all make faith commitments. All of them need wind in the sails. And so what that means is that the question is not whether you have faith, 
But what is the evidence that you have that your faith is grounded on? Not whether you need wind or not, but what is the rudder that guides your ship? And that leads to the third claim here, that science is rational while religion is irrational. And really, this is the claim that naturalism has better reasons for their beliefs than those who believe in God. And so we have to ask the question, whose faith is more reasonable? Who has a better rudder guiding their ship? Atheism or theism? And I want to say that the Christian faith is very reasonable. And the Christian faith has always been based on evidence. Anyone who tells you that the Christian faith is a blind faith needs to read the New Testament. At the end of the book of John, John gives us the entire purpose and reason for the book that he wrote. In John 20, 31, he says this, Truly, Jesus did many other signs. The word signs there means evidences, witnesses, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All of the miracles that Jesus did, they weren't simply parlor tricks. They were all evidences given for a certain thing. And what does this verse say? Why does Jesus give us evidence? So that you may believe. Jesus gave evidence to secure faith. And the faith that Jesus commended and worked for was an evidence-based faith. So don't let anyone tell you that the Christian faith is blind. It never has been. Christianity has massive amounts of evidence to support it. We have a reliable rudder to guide our ship. That's what this entire conference is about, is presenting some of those evidences. Looking at the evidence from science, philosophy, archaeology, history. One of the strongest reasons to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was was the evidence of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is one of the most reliable and verifiable events in all of history. It's amazing. And I want to give you an example of what this looks like, of how evidence and faith go hand in hand in the Christian life. I'm going to read you an account of a college professor, a Christian college professor in his early 30s who was diagnosed with lymphoma, which is a kind of cancer. Listen to how evidence helps strengthen his faith even in the face of death. He writes this, One night, I was unexpectedly afraid because I was unexpectedly doubting what I'd always known to be true. Feeling at the great precipice of a divide between this life and whatever unseen place comes next, I questioned the resurrection of Jesus. How do I really know that he was raised so that I too may be raised with him to eternal life? How do I really know that at death, my soul won't slip away into some kind of nothingness, and I cease to exist. Well, by God's grace, someone was with me that night to whom I could honestly articulate that doubt. By God's grace, that person was my wife of 20 years. By God's grace, I actually shared my fear and doubt with her. And she simply said, you know the reasons that we believe Christ was truly raised. She spoke from her awareness that I've been banking my whole life, day after day, month by month, year after year, on the claims and teachings of the New Testament writers. 
she knows that I had a seminary course in apologetics. At Susan's urging, in that oh-so-brief but frightening crisis of faith, I called to mind the abundant evidence and reasonable arguments for the reliability of the New Testament documents as true eyewitness testimony to Christ's resurrection. In that frightening moment, when death felt so near to me and so palpable for the first time in my life, the reality of the resurrection became more than a doctrine to believe, but for the first time, perhaps ever, a heartfelt hope to buoy and ballast my faith. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold a conference, Give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to check it out. Also, share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Hey, 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 hey.